my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today is an exciting day, and the reason why? It's the first Clark Stinks of 22. Do I love Clark Stinks. And something else I'm really excited about, you saving money in 22. I have a challenge for you, and I hope you'll accept it. So Krista, Clark Stinks, for people that are new to our podcast, is where you can go to clark.com slash clarkstinks and let me know where guidance, advice, information, or answers to questions you've heard from me you feel are flat wrong, misguided, incomplete, whatever. And then you go through the posts and you share highlights right here on the podcast. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right. First, Clark stinks of the new year. Clark, you really stunk it up when you blamed drivers for the increase in vehicle-related deaths during the pandemic. We didn't all simultaneously become bad drivers. Like it or not, it's simply human nature that people drive the speed they feel comfortable driving, and with fewer cars on the road, that meant faster. The problem you overlooked is that in America, we ignore human nature and design city streets like freeways and get surprised when people drive like they're on one. We have a road design problem, not a driver problem or a speed limit problem. And that's from Chad. Chad, thank you. And yes, it is true that particularly in the early part of the pandemic, uh, almost two years ago, that people were driving like, uh, well, like they were always on a racetrack because suddenly in suburban and urban areas with ultra-wide freeways, they were empty and people were like, man, this is a dream. What can this car really do? And they were doing it and sometimes to great tragic consequence with the number of single vehicle accidents going through the roof. Um, I do feel uh, that people drive more aggressively now than they did pre-pandemic. I feel like a lot of people's uh, anxiety and frustration, they're, they're exhibiting behind the wheel. And I, an example I'll give for that is there's been a massive increase in the number of shootings on the road and people getting angry at somebody else in traffic and somebody might uh, do a hand gesture and next thing you know, a gunfire starts, and we all need to take a chill pill, not just on the roads, but also all these things of people getting into rages just in everyday life, in retail stores, on airplanes, wherever. And I just ask everybody, please, to I know it's like overused to talk about being polite and being kind one to another, but I know we've been through a lot of stressors for two years, but it's really important. And this would be a great New Year's resolution for 22 for us all to just take a deep breath. And even if somebody's hostile to us, that we stay calm and as best we can ignore them or be kind. Okay. So I know that's like a, a Christmas message. That's in good. January. Now let's read about why people are frustrated with you. 
Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, your listeners, I feel like you're kind of preaching to the choir because everybody is so nice that writes in, I have to say. Um, but I totally agree with you. Clark was telling his listeners about a grandmother and her grandchild being kicked out of a motel room in the middle of the night due to a posting from the grandmother with a bad review of the motel to the internet. Yes, this is intolerable behavior on part of the motel's management, but Clark also blamed law enforcement for their actions. As a law enforcement officer, I would have made sure that the family was safely relocated, but in most cases, Clark needs to understand that law enforcement doesn't have a choice. We are sworn officers of the law, and it's not always pretty. In today's hostile environment toward law enforcement, we don't need the nicest man in the country, Clark Howard, condemning our whole profession. Clark, I still love you, but just disappointed, Charles. Charles, thank you, and thank you for what you do to provide a safe environment in the community in which you work. And police officers are put in to the most crazy positions where they're trying to figure out day in and day out what to do in a situation that they weren't trained in the academy, that no may, may have ever anticipated the situation they'd be in. And it just seemed that what happened at the hotel, with it being something this grandma posted about a problem with the hotel on social media, that was a civil matter and not one that should have involved a middle-of-the-night eviction. So, again, it's so hard as an officer in a situation you're called to. Uh, in that case, everything pretty much went wrong that could have gone wrong. And it was just a rare circumstance of a great example how afraid so many business owners are and hostile to what's posted on review sites and on social media. In the first 2022 podcast, you talked about cars having sensors for intoxicated drivers. You then talked about car makers hopefully being able to supply new cars soon, getting past the chip shortage. Then in the same podcast, you talked about the sky-high payments people make on cars. The more sophisticated cars, new cars become, the more outrageous the cost. And what are people to do? I'm looking to replace a 22-year-old minivan, and I would love an electric car by an American company, but can't afford one. Brenda. Brenda, thank you. The uh, We're going to talk over the next few weeks. So many times I'll take questions and deal with topics involving how unaffordable vehicles are right now, new and used. And the chip shortage thing has been easing for a lot of industries Others, it has not. In the automotive industry, it has for some automakers and not for others. For example, Tesla shocked the automotive world with the number of vehicles they were able to produce in the fourth quarter of 21. Uh, far, far more than any other competitor has been able to do in terms of increasing production rather than shrinking production. And it's because of how Tesla source chips that others just relied on outsiders. So the chip thing is going to be solved. It will get haphazardly better across a number of industries in 22, and the auto market will improve in fits and starts through 22. The used market out of control right now because of the problems in the new vehicle market. And even though your vehicle's 20 Two 22 years, years old. 22 years old in 22. If it's still running, 
keep it going and wait for the market to get some equilibrium to it, some more normal kind of inventory and pricing. On the thing about every additional safety device you put in a vehicle raising the cost of the vehicle, you're completely right. But most of what's going on with vehicles and why the prices have run up so much is how people are optioning out their vehicles. And that's what's led to these higher and higher ticket prices pre-pandemic on vehicles is not the safety embedded in them, but all the fancy things we want on them. This is about a phrase that someone feels you keep getting wrong. As a certified financial planner, I appreciate your efforts to enlighten the public about all matters financial. However, your aphoristic stylings referring to the stock market greed and pigs is getting rank. All right. What is aphoristic? I, I I wasn't an English major like you. Um, I believe it refers to an aphorism, which is like, I don't know, I don't know the exact definition, but it's a saying like the the correct phrase is bulls make money and bears make money, but pigs get slaughtered. Okay. Somebody else might might write in again. And then this is from Marvin who says, P.S. I routinely encourage my clients to listen to the Clark Howard podcast. So what this is about is there's an expression I've heard over the years, uh, pigs get rich, hogs get slaughtered. And we've had so many posts saying, no, you have that phrase wrong. It's this, it's that, it's the other. Happy stinky new year. You took a question about grandparents owning kids 529 accounts. The kids in this case were one already in college and one in late high school. Clark, you completely blew by the aspect of how the account should be invested. They should, of course, not be invested in stock-centric funds for kids this close to needing the money. You should have added that the grandparents should make sure to put the funds in an age-based portfolio or other funds weighted towards short-term income. Rick. Rick, that was a sin of omission on my part. I love that anytime you put money in a 529 account, other than a state prepaid plan, that it goes into the age-based portfolio or whatever the terminology equivalent is for a particular state 529 plan, where the mixture of investments gets steadily more conservative the closer a child is to college age or at college age. Because in those last few years before entering college, you're taking too much risk if the money is heavily invested instead of in more stable kind of savings type instruments just before entering college. And uh, every 529 account I know of has this option of the age-based portfolio. Again, that's the generic term. They may call it a different term in the state plan. When Clark issues a blanket criticism of all annuities, he does his listeners and readers a disservice. Many of us already have an annuity. It's called Social Security. Annuities are not investment products. They are contracts with insurance companies. And yes, they can be complicated, but buyers need to understand what they're buying. In the absence of corporate pensions, annuities can play an important role in providing financial security and retirement for a great many people. Properly structured annuities are not about maximizing return on investment. They are about minimizing risk. And that's from Randy. And Randy, you are 100% correct. And you may not have heard me speak in the past about how I love the idea of annuitizing funds so that you know you don't outlive your money with an immediate payout annuity or life annuities, it's called, or a um, deferred annuity where it starts paying at a later point in life, where the money grows in the insurance company's hands. And then starting typically at age 75, 80, or 85, 
it pays you a handsome amount of money every month for the rest of your life. A longevity annuity is typically what those will be called. The idea of these two is they don't have the zillion pages of gotchas written by lawyers that not even another lawyer can understand how they're going to get you in that contract. It's not some kind of index blah, 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 or variable blah, blah, blah. They just simply are a process where you turn money over to the insurance company, and the insurance company then in turn pays you as if it's like a pension with a check you get every month for the rest of your life. People are afraid to do these, the immediate payout and the longevity annuities, because they're thinking, wait, I pay this money in, and what happens if I die too soon? I've thrown all that money away. Well, the opposite is the problem you should worry about, and that's that you live longer than your money, and you end up in your later years in deep poverty. And that's why using these two types of annuities is a very valid strategy. You took binding arbitration to task. While I may agree with you that it's a bit suspicious that a high percentage of cases are decided in the company's favor, I don't think the arbitrators are necessarily at fault. I think the fault lies in the terms and conditions we agree to when we use the products and services, sometimes never even glancing at the terms we agree to. In this case, it may not matter if we're being judged in a courtroom or an arbitration room because the simple question would be, is this your mark of acceptance of our terms and conditions? Most are a one-way ticket for culpability denial, except for the most extreme instances. They are not designed to give consumers many rights. They are designed to protect the company as, from as much liability as possible. And that's from Hilvan. Hilvan, thank you. And uh, there used to be a concept that lawyers talked about, a contract of adhesion, meaning that if one party was much more powerful than the other, that it wasn't really a fair imposition on the weaker party, in this case, we'd be talking about the consumer, or in a place of an employer imposing conditions on an employee, that that would be something that would be considered to be unfair and that it should not stand. The courts have taken, given wide sway in recent decades to allow a company to impose on its customers or an employer to impose on its employees extremely one-sided terms and conditions and it is the thought that well you know consumers have a choice they can just go shop with somebody else or employees have a choice and go work somewhere else and that would be the more libertarian-minded thinking about these one-sided terms and conditions that are imposed on us. It's not that Clark stinks, but he failed to mention something that affected me when trying to sell my leased Honda. On the back of the lease contract in very small print was the fact that if I sold the vehicle, I had to sell it back to Honda. In other words, I couldn't sell it to any of the other possible buyers such as CarMax. I did make money on my return of the vehicle, but not for as much as the offer I had from CarMax. There was a $2,000 difference. People may be better off as much trouble as it is to buy the vehicle and then sell it to whomever they want, Jim. Yeah, Jim... Thank you for pointing this out because when I've explained how much money right now people can make on selling their lease vehicle, I have failed at times to explain you have to buy your vehicle first. You have to pay off the remaining lease and buy it for the residual amount, then turn around 
and sell the vehicle, and then you make that spread that's happening in the marketplace right now. It is an unusual temporary circumstance going back to much earlier in today's podcast. The shortage of vehicles in the marketplace has led to extremely inflated values on three, typically three-year-old vehicles, most common cycle of a lease vehicle. So you bide your time, you pay off that lease, you own it temporarily, even you don't want to keep the vehicle, and then you sell it to whoever you want to and make the bigger amount of money. Now, coming up, speaking of money, we're in a position in America where nearly half of us have no money for an unexpected emergency. And an unexpected emergency is considered to be somewhere around $400 or more. I want you to do something about it. I don't want you to be a sitting duck. And I've got a challenge for you coming up. So every year, we have these New Year's resolutions about how we're going to become more fit or whatever. My son goes to a particular fitness center and he's like, Dad, there's no parking spaces at all. I can't get on any machines. What's going on? And I explained to him that the first six weeks of the year, all these people who have uh, not been happy about their waistline, they're suddenly in the gym, and then uh, they all joke who work in gyms, you know, what day that year is it going back to normal? Is it going to be February 15th? Is it going to be March 1st? Whatever. I mean, it's hard for people to stick to New Year's resolutions that are physical or physical. And most of them fall into those two categories. Well, I started to think through, and we talked about it at Clark.com, how do we give you a roadmap to be able to set a new path with saving money? And when you first hear me say, my goal is for you to build up a savings account of $2,022.22. You're like, oh, just like everybody else coming up with some random number based on the year. And But what we did was we thought about where you have spikes in your expenses through a month and came up with a weekly savings goal that changes all through the year. But the idea is that If you stick to it, just like if you stick to a diet or a workout at the gym, if you stick to it, you know the result you'll have. And in this case, the result you'll have is you'll have saved $2,022. Now, what am I asking of you to get there? Depending on the week of these 52 weeks, you'll save as little as about a buck and a half a day to as much as $9 a day. And that's how I'm breaking down the weeks. But you'll see if you look at our challenge to get to saving $2,022. Why did I want to do this? Because in the past, I've talked about different saving strategies. And we never took into account with those where it was just linear. Save this much per day. Save this much per week. We never took into account the expenses that spike different weeks of a month. So this time we've done that and so made it more manageable for you to build up money. 
And at the beginning of the year, most weeks, not much money saved because a lot of people are dealing with hangover expenses from Christmas time. And then as you move through the year, there are certain weeks that I expect more of you from your wallet to build up savings. What do I want you to do with this money? I want you to put it in a credit union or an online bank. I don't want any of this money any way, shape, form, or fashion in a traditional bank because they just eat you alive. They punish you on trying to save money. They pay you like nothing on it, and they have all kinds of crazy fees they can even hit you with on a savings account. That's why I want you to do this at a credit union or an online bank. And so just go look at our Save 2022 in 2022. That was a lot to say. <laughs> I, You know, I have asthma, so it's hard for me to spit out all that at once. But the concept is simple. When you have a thing that I talked about earlier in the podcast that nearly half of Americans can't deal with an unexpected emergency that's defined as $400, that means we've got a problem with building up a rainy day fund just because life gets in the way. And it's more fun to go say, hey, I'm going to buy this or buy that. I'll get down to savings later. Uh-uh, I want you to get into the savings thing now. We're the first week of January. I want you doing this now. This is a question from William in New York. I would like to help my younger brother. He works but doesn't make much money. I would like to give him the maximum amount each year. He's 57 and I'm 69. He has no retirement saved now. What? How should I invest this for him? Okay, so first of all, what a kind, generous soul you are to do this for your brother. And you were able to put aside 15000 a year for him without any implications or issues at all. You, Any American is allowed to give $15,000 each year to any other American without the tax people having any say-so over it at all. And it doesn't even have to be a relative. Um, in your case, doing the 15, there are a couple of things you could do. The accounts will need to be owned by your brother. And the first thing I would do is set up a Roth IRA for your brother, which you can put aside because of his age, you can put aside $7,000 of the 15 in that. And the other eight, I would uh, go with him to open an account at Fidelity Investments and put the money in a Fidelity Zero Fund. Zero Fund is when there's no commissions to be in, no minimum amount has to go into it, and um, there's no expenses charged for it. Every dollar in it is invested without any money being taken by Fidelity for managing the account for you. So that combination of the Roth IRA and the Fidelity Zero, so you could do both at Fidelity. You could do the... um, Roth at Fidelity, you could do the the investment account at Fidelity, you would help your brother build up a reserve of money pretty quickly, putting fifteen grand aside. You can actually each do year. sixteen. I'm sorry. Sixteen now? Yep. Twenty twenty two it moved up to sixteen thousand. How did I not know that? Okay. So see you can be even <laughs> another thousand dollars more generous. Thank you, Krista. You're welcome. Sixteen thousand now. And uh, 
Think about that growing over the years for your brother. The only thing is your brother will have access to the money, and if he tends not to be as responsible as you'd like, you could put this money aside and he could grab it. The only way to prevent that is a more involved process, which is to set up a trust for your brother, and then you would be the trustee of it to control how the money is actually used by him for his benefit. This is from Samantha in Minnesota. My question is about saving for college. My husband and I both are fairly certain that our two and four-year-olds will attend college and we're committed to paying for it. We're on track for retirement and our strategy is to put half of our kids' money for college into our state's Minnesota's 529 plan and put the other half in savings and brokerage accounts. My question is about the amount we should be aiming for. Are there college cost projections that exist? So Samantha, if you want to terrify yourself... Go look and see what the projections are based on your kid's age, how much money will be needed for college. And uh, make sure there's nothing hard you could hit your head on when you pass out because those numbers can be frightening. Uh, some of the estimates for years down the road could be higher than where college costs are going to end up. But you said something interesting. You said fairly certain that the kids are going to college because you don't want any money in 529 plans if the kids don't go to college, but you want all the money for college in a 529 plan if they are likely to go to college because the tax advantage is so great having the money in a 529 plan. In addition, if you have a, half the money in brokerage or savings accounts, the problem is it can affect their eligibility for financial aid at the colleges based on resources and their names. So this one's a tough one. Um, if your family culture is overwhelming that the kids go to college, put the money in the 529 plan and look at the various guesstimates that are available online. If you just use whatever search engine you use and uh, college cost estimates is like a search term, you will see various formulas that estimate the cost for a state school in state and a private school and then a state school going out of state because that's really three different numbers. And then you can come up with an expected amount of money you need to put aside for the kids for college. And this is from Harrison in Illinois. I wanted to let other listeners know about the danger of one piece, new one piece design snorkeling masks. And then the, he links to one that's available on Amazon. My child and I almost drowned while using this product on our vacation in Key West a couple of weeks ago. While light swimming and snorkeling, the air intake part got stuck due to heavy breathing. I was able to take it off, but I also found online articles that children drowned as they were not able to take them off with the potential danger of CO2 over inhaling. Also, the Safe Product Government website shows several similar complaints. The age-old two-piece snorkeling set design has been widely used for good reasons, I believe now. Please let listeners know that one-piece snorkeling masks could be very dangerous as they're pretty much banned by commercial snorkeling tour operators. And this was brought to our attention three, years ago. It was four years ago. Yeah. Um, and I did a thing on television about it. And just want you to know, this is something that seemed like a great idea. I actually had one. Yeah. 
and uh, seemed much easier, but turned out to have unexpected danger. And thank you so much for taking the time to post this. And I want to thank you so much for being with us on this episode of the Clark Howard Show as we close out this first week of podcasts for 2022. And whatever your goals are for this year, personal, financial, physical, whatever it is, I hope that you are inspired to take control, to take charge of your life, and that 2022 turns out to be a great year for you personally, our great nation, and the world after two exceedingly difficult years in 20 and 21.